Before we continue our worship through the preaching of God's word, I invite you first to join me in a prayer of confession. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you for, again, the privilege together. We thank you for this Lord's Day, this most wonderful day that you have granted us uh, to come and to meet in this unique setting uh, as your people called out by your sovereign grace, uh, appointed to worship you in um, uh, a very formal and organized manner on this particular day to bring uh, you glory and to have that um, fleshed out and lived out and flowing uh, freely through every aspect of our lives uh, every day until you come for us. And we ask this morning that you would grant us enabling grace to walk worthy of this calling, that our lives would reflect your glory. We come to confess that we are needy people, uh, that sin is um, a real and present danger and struggle uh, in our fleshly body, in our frailty, in this side of glory. And we ask that you would help us to walk in righteousness. And that you would tune our hearts for your worth and majesty. And that you would um, continue to hone us and shape us and mold us. Uh, and make us fit for the gospel fight. We ask these things in the strong name of Christ. Amen. We'll be, we'll be returning uh, to the book of Acts chapter 14 this morning. Sorry. And we'll be looking at verses 24 through 28. Uh, the title of this morning's message is The Missionary Report. If you recall on last week, um, we looked at Paul and Barnabas as they journeyed back, uh, kind of backtracking through the areas where they had planted churches. And they did so for a very strategic uh, purpose, and that was to strengthen those churches that they had uh, planted, to encourage them to persevere in the faith, to endure in the faith, and to give them a very sobering warning and reminder that it's through many tribulations to which we'll enter into the kingdom of heaven. So they gave them a very realistic and in the, in the big picture, encouraging view of what it means to be a Christian. And, our, and that part of being a Christian, that is central to our Christianity, which is that we are gathered in a visible church family. We're part of the Catholic church and Catholic meaning the whole church globally, Catholic in that sense. But we are most identified with the visible church through which we are members and accountable most poignantly to one another. And Paul and Barnabas drove that reality and that importance and that beauty home as they revisited these churches. Now we're going to pick them up as they track back around, retracing their steps, spending time with these churches. We're going to pick them up as they'll leave Galatia and ultimately make their way back to the island of Pamphylia and then back to their home church there in Syrian Antioch. So look with me there beginning in verse, or excuse me, beginning, beginning in verse 24, and we'll read through verse 28 and kind of pick up the context here. So they <clears throat> passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. 
when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. From there, they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. Now, again, on uh, last Lord's Day, we looked at some very practical aspects of this missionary journey as they come back and revisit these church plants and, and the reason and the theology behind that important journey back. So let me say up, up front, uh, at this point, or, or at Derby, kind of that was the, the in range, Derby there in Galatia, kind of the top point as they were traveling north. Um, that was the end of their, of the outreach of their geographical mission. Now from Derby, they could have easily passed over to Tarsus, which was where Paul was from, very familiar area, probably had a little respite there, uh, caught up with family and, and had a nice little journey from there back over to Syrian Antioch. It was a very short journey in that regard from their top geographical point where they stopped. But they didn't do that. They traveled back around to their long journey back again to revisit these churches for a purpose of ministry. So it's not convenient. This, this journey back is not convenient at all. It's ministry driven and it's practical. So we looked at some of the practical aspects of that last week. We're still going to continue on with the practical aspect of what's going on. We're going to see some very practical issues that we want to uh, hold dear to our hearts. And the theology behind that is we think about church planting, who we are really as a growing church plant, um, bringing uh, what God has brought us to this point. And part of our DNA, part of our makeup must be the reality that we are to plant. We are to send out missionaries and we want to see God raise them up from our ranks. And we want to be able to practically and strategically by the grace of God, with the theology of scripture as our founding uh, uh, truth and authority, prepare them and equip them and send them out. And we want, it's part of our DNA, it's part of what we want to do. So we're going to see some very practical aspects of this missionary effort here this morning. So I want you to hold on to it and, and keep that in mind. We're going to see some really um, basic framework of how this is to be done. Okay, so now if you remember uh, a few Sundays ago, after service, we had a members meeting. And in that members meeting, Danny primarily came here forward and, as one of the leaders, and he gave an account of our ministry. He gave an account of the direction that we intend to go as a church family. And uh, with Jesse's aid, we talked, uh, we talked about the budget. Very practical matters. And why did we do this? Why did uh, Danny stand here and uh, very diligently and straightforwardly go through those things? And, and um, several other men helped put this together. Why? Well, the reason is we're accountable. Leadership's accountable to this church. We're accountable to fulfill our responsibilities in the church matter, in matters of the church. And the church affirmed these uh, issues that we put forth in the meeting that says we gave reports. So Danny came and he gave reports. The church and the church affirmed what was going on. And we did so because we're accountable. 
And so in this text, we're going to see that our missionaries here, Paul and Barnabas, are accountable to a visible church. That is the church in Syrian Antioch. That is their uh, sending church or their home church, if you will. We might call it in these parts their home church, but it's, that's one and the same, okay? So that's their church that they're identified with as members. And now they're missionaries that have been sent forth, commissioned out of that church. And they're to be accountable to that local church. So we're going to see them laboring here in their effort to give an account of the fulfillment of their responsibilities on the mission field. And their account is given before, I want you to note up front, the whole church, the whole church there in Syria, Antioch, their sending church, their home church. So first, I want you to see a biblical missionary endeavor. And that endeavor I'm speaking of is Paul and Barnabas laboring, endeavoring to make their way back from their missionary efforts to their home church for the purpose of giving report. All that we find here in these few verses are based around, everything that happens is based around their laboring to get back to their home church for the purpose of giving report, giving account of what they have been doing on the mission field. So missionaries are accountable for their, to their sending church to the glory of God and for the encouragement of the sending church. Now, that's uh, not all that they're accountable for, but that's a good starting point as we think about uh, these few verses here. And look there in verses 24 through 27. I want you to see that. Too. Let me read through that again. And we're just going to pick up kind of geography first, okay? They're going to give us kind of how they track their way back. And so they pass through uh, Pisidia, and that's their leaving Galatia there, back to the uh, Pamphylia. And when they had spoken a word there in Pergam, they went down to Apalia. And from there, they sailed back to Antioch, in which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. And when they had arrived, they gathered the church together and began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Now, the route back there, back to steering Antioch, back to the sending church, goes through the areas where they planted churches already, back to the, uh, uh, to the island there of Perga. And note there, when they get to Perga, it says, um, they spoke the word, they see that in verse 25, they, they, had, they had spoken the word in Perga. Now, they started out of there initially, and they didn't preach the gospel, they didn't evangelize that area, they waited until they got into the area of Galatia. So now, on their way back, again, going for the purpose, going back for the purpose of giving me point, Given report, they take time in Perga to evangelize. They preach the gospel there. So initially, when they kind of that was kind of their, their launching point, their leaping off point, they didn't initially uh, uh, evangelize there. But they make a point to on their way back. And I'm certain this is purposeful that they knew they would come back, and they knew when they would come back, Lord willing, if they had a chance to come back and make report, they were going to make sure that they stopped in Perga and preached the gospel. So never let an opportunity to evangelize pass you by. They're on their way back. They're going to give report. But here's a place that they did not preach. And so they make it a point to settle in there, dig their heels in, and preach the gospel. That's our command as well. We're to preach the gospel to the nation. Until the Lord calls us home. So take your cues 
from Paul and Barnabas here. They didn't let an opportunity to preach the gospel pass them by. They hadn't forgot about their responsibility to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And so even here on the return trip home, they preach the, preached the gospel there in Perga, although the overarching focus of their travels then was to get back to Antioch and report to the home church. But they never wasted an opportunity to preach the gospel. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that beautiful? It's just a beautiful little driving fact of the Christian life here that Paul and Barnabas can kind of urge us on here. We can look at them and praise God and know that that's exactly the same DNA that's built in us. It's exactly the same calling. And we have the exact same marching orders. And there's circumstances. And we have uh, uh, agendas that we need to keep. And we have uh, uh, a time frame. We have deadlines. But never miss an opportunity to preach the gospel. When they got back to Perga, Lord willing, they made it back in one piece. They're going to preach. Because that was an area that they hadn't had an opportunity to preach in before. So they go back. They preach, don't miss that. We have that same responsibility. Preach the gospel to all mankind throughout your entire Christian life until the Lord comes for you. Don't miss an opportunity. Or if you're like me, don't miss another. Man, I've missed it. It'll cause you hard anguish, but we can't, we can't live there. My goodness, we must learn from you. Don't miss another. Don't miss another. It's a beautiful little thing right there. They found praise. Oh, yeah. We didn't get to do the gospel here, did we? Okay. Well, now's the time. Beautiful little reality. And so they're going to head to uh, Italia there. And Italia is a, a seashore city right on the Mediterranean. So Perga is kind of upstream a little bit in a waterway that leads out to the Mediterranean. So they come from Perga and then they catch a ship out of Italia back over across to uh, the city of Antioch, or, or excuse me, Syrian Antioch. Remember the two Antiochs, right? So don't let me confuse you there, okay? Their, their last, the high point there in Derby, they were in Pisidian Antioch. That's the last uh, mission endeavor until they traced back, until they came back around and they're going back to Syrian Antioch, their home church, to give reports. So they jump off, they take ship right there to attack. That's a little city right along the Mediterranean. It sits right on the water, a little port city. So we, we didn't see that on the first journey in, but they're just going to catch a boat there and go back over, okay? So from Italia, they go back. They sail back to Antioch. And look there in verse uh, 26. It says they sailed back to Antioch, <clears throat> from uh, which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. Now, commended by their home church, their sinning church, the church in, uh, in Syrian Antioch. So they've been commended to the grace of God for their work. And it says that the work that they had accomplished. So they accomplished a specific work in a specific region, and now they're going back to give report on it. And they have been commended by the grace of God uh, from this church. So that being commended tells us that they have an accountability. They have an accountability to the church at Antioch because that's who commended them by the grace of God to this work. We would call that a sinning church. So right there, that tells us they're accountable to that church. And they're on their way back to give report because they're accountable. So the missionaries had a duty to report back. <clears throat> now, 
for us as we're thinking about church planning, as we're praying to God to raise up missionaries from our ranks, as we're trying to be prepared for that purpose and that time, uh, uh, praying and laboring that this would be true and that God would uh, in, uh, uh, that God would use us in the same manner. Know that missionaries are accountable to their sending church. Now that's a two-way street. The church body as a whole is accountable to her missionaries, but but note first and foremost, the missionaries are accountable to the church. Now here's where I'm going with this. There must be accountable uh, accountability, and we see that right here. Here's the biblical pattern. When people come to you, there's a, a number of places we could look at them, but here's one. This is a very straightforward biblical pattern, so we want to note this. And here's what I want you to think about in application. Look, a mission board, as helpful and fruitful as they are, a mission board is not enough in terms of real accountability. A mission board is not enough. Mission organizations, as wonderful and fruitful and helpful as they are, and the wonderful work that they've done and continue to do even to this day, they're not enough in terms of accountability for missionaries. The visible church must be at the center of every missionary endeavor. And the missionaries must be accountable primarily, first and foremost, not necessarily exclusively, but primarily to the sending church. That's the biblical pattern. That's what we see right here. There's too much waste, quite frankly. And I want to take us down that path. I want to elaborate, but let me just say, and we can have further conversations about this in another context. There's too much waste, too much waste of money and time and resources. And one fundamental flaw, I believe, in our missionary endeavors um, as evangelicals here in, in North America, let's just maybe narrow it to that reality. It's not, not only us, but certainly us, and this is our context. Um, there's too much waste. And it comes down to the accountability of missionaries to the local church and that relationship being solidified and understood and the biblical pattern being lived out. So that's how we want to understand it. That's how we want to pray in terms of our missionary endeavors. There must be accountability. In verse 30, uh, excuse me, verse 26 tells us here that they had a work to do and they accomplished it. So the missionaries accomplished it. And again, specific work, specific region. They fulfilled the task. And once they fulfilled the task, they returned to make report. They made a return trip. And again, that trip was built around ministry. It's not convenient for them. There was a much easier route to get back home. So there's still the heartbeat of the matter. The heartbeat of the missionaries are still, is, is still ministry, it's still missionary work. Their whole trip back, it's based on getting back to these churches and, and, and encouraging them and strengthening them in the faith. And where there's, there's been an area where they, where they launched, they make it back to that so they can share the gospel. But there's still a specific Ministry, a specific mission in a specific region. Now, you know, did Paul have the Roman world in mind at this point? Well, probably so, but that's not how they started. And so there's there's detail to this. There's specifics to it, and there's a plan. And there's a strategy behind it. And once this task has been accomplished, 
they purposefully, immediately make their way back to make report. And so the importance of revisiting was there. They did the strengthening. They did that. They strengthened the churches. And it was all based on returning back and getting to the home church to make report. So missionaries must report back to sending churches. They must visit the home church from time to time and give report to the home church. And we think about how that would look here in the future. That must be part of our identity as a sending church. Missionaries are to return back. So we don't want to leave them out on the field forever. Accountable maybe to a missionary board or maybe to a missionary organization or maybe to a mission team from our church and not really accountable to the whole church and really not giving report back for any period of time. It's an unhealthy reality. Um, missionaries need accountability. That's what they need. If you go see them, and that, that's that's one issue. We gotta get them back here because it's easier to do that for us to go see them. Now we might still get to go see them. But the whole church needs to see them. It needs to be for an extended period of time. We'll look at that as we work through this text. But if when you talk to them, when you build those relationships back up, and when you, you spend the time with them and, and listen to what they what what God's done with them out in the field, what you're gonna get time and time again is they need accountability. And that must come from the local church primarily. Now, there's been a, a, one mission organization in particular in the past few years that has um, had a, a rock bottom fall. And it's been hard to, to see that. I'll not name names. But I have missionary friends that are part of that organization. I've been deeply involved with them over the years. And a number of reasons that I, again, can't all be addressed today, but Suffice to say, a key element of this fall of this organization, this organization hit rock bottom. I mean, some bad stuff shaking out of this. This lack of accountability, missionaries on the field. And quite frankly, it's because the organization is trying to do all of it. Mission organization. There's no local church, visible church, accountable, right in the lives of these missionaries. And there's no, there's no interaction with them, not coming back enough. And for every good intention, they want to be on the field. They want to be out there. And we've got, and we're talking about folks that are in some deep, uh, uh, you know, very remote regions of the world where there's no gospel line. Very good intention. Necessity for the gospel to go to the nation. But they can't hang out there all by themselves for long periods of time. That never works out well. To make sure that missionaries are doing what they've been commissioned to do. You know how we make sure they're doing what they've been commissioned to do? The church that sends them finds out. Love them, nurture them, bring them back here. We spend time with them, we cultivate relationships with them, we send them back again. And if we don't have the funds and resources to do it, then we dial things back and we and we figure out a way to have the funds and resources to do it. We don't leave not there for extended periods of time. They must give accountability for a job, the job they've been commissioned to do. The church is going to commission them and send them out and commend them to the grace of God to do this. And we need to make sure they're getting it done. And a very straightforward, practical way of, of, of carrying that out is to get them home. 
get them back to give report. That's exactly what's happening here. So accountability. Well, that's what's going on. What's it do? Well, I, I can't maybe tackle all of that in this context this morning, but let me just give you some base, basic uh, uh, foundational matters of, of what accountability here and the relationship between the sending church and the missionaries. What does it do? Well, accountability renews the sending church with her responsibility to pray and support these missionaries. And it renews that vital interest in the missionaries. When they get out on the field, what is it? Sadly, probably a number of us here have experienced this with, with missionary friends. What is it? They get out on the field and it's out of sight, out of mind. And we don't want to admit that. That's the truth. The relationship is just not there anymore. We don't want that. We don't want an out of sight, out of mind missionary together. And the church at Antioch didn't want that. And these missionaries understood their accountability and they needed to report back. So that's what they did. Paul and Barn here <clears throat> provided a biblical model for all Christians. Really. Certainly for, for the, the missionaries, those who are going out uh, from the church, but really for all Christians. And I'm going to tell you what that is. They labored hard to make themselves accountable to their sending church. And he said, well, well, maybe I'm not going out. Well, still, you labor hard to make yourself accountable to your church. But you're not going out from, but you're a part of it. And that's for all of them. There's, you know, there's an old saying, the buck, stop, uh, the buck stops here. Well, that could be true for me. Uh, in, in that regard, but look, we're a body. So we're all to be laboring, to be accountable to one another and to our church, our visible church. And Paul and Barnabas make a uh, set a really good uh, pattern. He make a, a really good model. They are working hard to be accountable to their church. They're they're on a difficult field. Uh, lots of Difficult things have happened to them already. They're taking a long way back around to try to get to these church plants, to love them, to minister them, to, to continue to build a biblical foundation there. And all the while, they are laboring hard to get back home and give report and give account for their ministry. And the same thing should be true for all of us. It's an easy, easy application to pick up. From their work here. Work hard to be accountable to this church. To be accountable to your elders and to commit yourself to the whole church. Labor to do that. The church is responsible for the oversight of the spiritual well being of its members. So we're really responsible to one another for our spiritual health. Now, the elders here have a unique role. We're to be, we're overseers, just that. And overseers have oversight. So elders are to have oversight of your spiritual well-being. So labor to be accountable to that relationship. And labor to be accountable for your relationship with one another as disciples gathered here in a visible church. Speaking of the elders, Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch. There's the oversight. They keep watch over your soul as those who will give an account. That's a sobering thought. 
those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So again, it's the accountability. It's the relationship. So seek to communicate with one another. Seek to build those relationships. Seek seek that accountability for for one another. Uh, Work on that yourself and be willing for someone to seek you out. Be willing to be sought. So seek to communicate and be willing to be sought out. Don't close yourself off. Be willing to speak about what God is doing with you. Be willing to speak with one another about that. Initiate the conversations. Kind of, you know, it's, it's all of us kind of owning that together. So it's, it's not the, it's the easiest thing for us to do be what? Well, that's right. Brother so-and-so, they don't do a very good job of that at all. Now, I'll carry the bull. I have the bullseye right on me. Because everybody can say, well, Brother John, he doesn't do this. Brother John, he doesn't do that. And I need to own up for those things. But there's, there needs to be prayer. And there needs to be an effort from myself and from every single person that identifies with this visible church. So, in other words, we need to start with ourselves. When we think about this. Open up. Build those relationships. Seek to communicate to one another. Tell one another. Talk to one another about what God is doing with you. That's what they came back and gave report on. What God was doing with them. So be active. Be proactive here. Speak about what God's doing with you to your elders so they can shepherd you and to your brothers and sisters so they can support you and love you and cultivate uh, uh, the relationship of, of uh, um, a mutual relationship between brothers and sisters in the gathered church. Prioritize spending time together in fellowship with the church family. Minister together. Live life together. And do so beyond the Lord's Day gathering. So it's really cultivating living life together. Now, we have barriers. We always here in our particular church. Man, we are so spread out. We live far away. We're not in a community. That's true. That's a real barrier. What can I say to that? It's true. It's a real barrier. Deal with it. We just have to deal with it. Do the best we can. Put a little extra effort in. If we have a barrier there, we have to put extra effort in. There's things we'll have to prioritize. So things that we like to do that doesn't have anything uh, that, that would hinder us working to get together and spend more time, we'll have to cut them out. It's simple. It's just not something that's convenient. So we have to make choices. We have to prioritize. All of us. But this is a beautiful, beautiful little piece of scripture here about the reality of working hard to build relationships, of spending time together, of having a life together. But right here it is. And if we're going to have uh, that that obedience to God, that obedience to the Great Commission that, that requires church planning, requires raising up and sending out missionaries, then the body life has to be uh, uh, cultivated and nurtured. Because there's accountability. There's accountability in the body of Christ. Accountability in the visible church. And so let's look at that. In verse 27 it says, They had gathered the church together and they began to report all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So first let's think about them gathering the church. So 
Let's think about what they didn't do. They didn't just gather the mission team, right? Who meets with the missionaries? The church. Typically, who meets with the missionaries in our context? The mission team, right? The mission team might report back to the church on occasion. Or they didn't just invite some of the folks that were interested, or some of the folks that that were uh, that wanted to identify with that particular that particular ministry within the church. This is the whole church, so they gathered the whole church. Everybody, the body of Christ is gathered there because the whole body of Christ is engaged, involved in this missionary endeavor. It's not a little segment of the church; it's the church. Everybody is there. And so the church is really an organized society. That's how we, we must understand that. We're, we're a subset of the, the larger culture, but it's an organized society. This was a formal, organized meeting. It was purposeful. They didn't just wander back into town and, and tell them a few little tidbits and then zip on their merry way back out to the field. They come back at great pains, great labor to get there for this purpose, to have this meeting. And the whole church is to be gathered. It is formal. It is organized. The church is formal in, in, in many ways. It's an organized society in and of itself. There's membership. There's a way in, as we talked on last little day. There's a way in. There's ways out. There's leaders. There's officers. There's structure. There's obligation. There's a command upon us corporately and individually that's knit together from our God. There's a purpose. There's a direction. So it's an organized, formal society. And that requires accountability. And it requires formal report. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. And it's to the whole church. And they report on all that God had done with them. So it's formal. But it's filled with passion and zeal. Don't you love that? It was just when I was going to get a little bit just when it was going to get a little bit more dry and too practical. Here it says that they report on everything that God had done with them. Now that's passion. There's some zeal. So they come back, and yes, this is very technical, and this is very practical, but then you get to hear the heart of the missionaries poured out before the whole body of Christ that has commissioned them to the grace of God to do this work. And it's very specific. And they're going to give some specific details about what's happened on the field. But they start with God, right? They give all glory to God. And here's how they report back. This is what God has done with us. This is not what uh, uh, we, you know, this is not how our strategy worked out. This is not how our, our timeline worked out. This is not how uh, uh, we determined the best way to, to integrate ourselves into a particular culture. This is not how we uh, dealt with certain uh, cultural dynamics and, and language barriers. Although those things are real and true and things that must be addressed and must be laid before the Lord in prayer. But they're not even concerned with that. They come immediately to this report this formal report, and they begin with God. Which is why they're there, how they're there, and for the purpose of being there uh, is, is for the glorification of God. 
And so they come and they begin to be very God-centered. And the emphasis there is on God's activity, right? This is what God has done. They don't even go with the, the, the old, um, uh, you know, kind of Americanized version of, well, this is what we've done with God's help. This is what God has done. They start, they, they report back about God's activity and what he did with them, right? In other words, we're instruments in his hands. And this is what he has chosen by his sovereign will to do with us. Now, these remarks focus on the sovereignty and freedom of God, don't they? That's where they start. This is what God has done with us. That's a sovereign God. That's the right theology. That's a God who is free with his salvation. That's a God who is absolutely sovereign in his missionary endeavor. You think they included the stone? I mean, that's not really going to be a fun conversation. Of course they did. You see the all there? Mark was reminding us to take scripture very straightforwardly and literally. So I'm gonna I'm gonna follow that lead, brother. All means all here. And there's lots of ways in scripture where we can say all means all and not be right. Gotta be careful with that. There's context. But I believe all in that sense means all things means all things. They just report about the whole thing. The good and the bad, in other words. What I'm trying to, to get across here is I don't believe they held back the bad stuff. And what do we do? We're in a market-driven society. We're in a politically polarized culture. And, and every side is trying to put the, the, the best foot forward, right? And what do you hear? Well, the, the, the media, uh, the mainstream media is, is uh, slanted politically. And so what do you hear? They put the best foot forward, but there's always, it's always the bright. It's just a pretty picture. Always painting the best picture. It's not necessarily about reporting facts or reporting a, a, a holistic picture. It's just a market tool. How do we advertise? It's marketing, right? So you paint the pretty picture. It's an image. And is that not the tendency in the body of Christ? And particularly sometimes on the field, you kind of come and just tell all the good stuff. You kind of slant it a certain way to make it make it appear fruitful and powerful and honoring to God and, and with every good intention. But that's not what we're to do. And I, I believe uh, Paul and Barnabas said again, a model for us here. They, appealed, they just told it all. Everything that God did with it. So what, what God did with Paul was having him stoned on this missionary endeavor. Do you understand that? And so we have to be realistic. They had to be realistic with what happened on this missionary effort. So they told all that God had done with them. Again, they emphasized the effectiveness of God in giving gospel and uh, giving the gospel during this missionary endeavor. They talk about how He had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, but they tell. The whole picture. So the stoning was a difficult part of the mission, right? The persecution was difficult, right? But that's part of what God had done with them. 
And so we too are to tell what God has done with us. And when we do, we're to tell all, the good, the bad. So let me start with this. When we think about telling what God has done with us, what's your testimony? Do you have anything to tell? What has God done with you? Because that's what we're to do. That's how we're to live for them. And give glory to God. So they gave glory to God here. They were very God-centered and they were very realistic. They didn't leave out the bad stuff. Now the Christian life is not always smooth sailing. All the way to glory, is it? That's not a realistic picture of the Christian life. That's not what they came back to these churches that they planted when they revisited them. That's not what they came back and told them. You think Paul told them about being stoned? Well, they might want, you know, Paul, why when you left here, you know, both of your eyes were at equal level in your face and your mouth had teeth in it and your lips were kind of lined up. You know, you look a little different, man. You think they held back the bad stuff? No. The Christian life is difficult. <clears throat> it's not easy. It's not always easy. It's not always an enjoyable experience. Sometimes your faith is going to be tried. Your faith is going to be tested. Every time that you're going to be pushed beyond your fleshly limits. In and of yourselves, you would walk away. As Danny likes to say, if you had control over hanging on to your salvation, you'd let it go. Because you had no capacity in yourself to take it. To deal with, with, with what's going on. To deal with what God is doing with you. It must be God. And because it must be God, all the more we must be realistic and sober and diligent about communicating all that God has done with us. Of course, he told them about the stone. And he put it in a proper theological context. This is what God did with me on the field. He had me suffer through stoning. And I'm not asking us to emotionally get there, but we have to theologically get there. God did that for his glory. And ultimately, for Paul's spiritual good. And we read it rightly, ultimately, for our spiritual good. As we think about church planning and missionary endeavors. And body life. And obedience. And honoring God. And letting scripture be our authority. Look, we're not going to live the Christian life. In our own strength. We can't. I can't. You can't. God must do this work in us. Our part is worship. And the worship is hanging on with our IT. And begging God to, to enable us to worship him rightly. And obey him. And be a means of him glorifying himself through us. We're not going to do anything on the mission field. God has to do it and use us as his instruments. And as he does, we must understand that the Christian life 
is costly. It's costly. But God's glory and kindness and mercy and deliverance shines forth most poignantly to the difficulties of the Christian life. So we are to be realistic and sober by that. And we are to give God glory and ask him to help us to resist that um, aspect of, of trying to paint a pretty picture, right? And just be realistic. And trust God to do the work. Trust God to build his church. Be realistic about your struggles. Being realistic about your struggles for God. We have to hold on that because we just want to make it, we don't want to, to make it sound bad. We want, it, we want to be liked and we want the gospel to be pleasant. It's not always emotionally, experientially pleasant. So we're to be realistic. It's glorifying to God. And that's where we, that's where we Build our foundation. The gospel is God's gospel. We're his ministers. And he is taking us and using us for his glory. How he sees fit. According to his purposes. And in that sense, we're free to tell it all. So there's freedom there. We don't have to try to put a little, uh, paint a little pretty uh, picture here. And kind of try to tuck something way over here. We can just tell exactly the way it is. Because we're not going to save anybody anyway. It's God's work. But we can hide ourselves under his wing. And know that he will glorify himself through, uh, uh, through us as his ministers. And that he will, do with the, he will do with us what he will. And what he does with us is ultimately for our good. For our spiritual good and for his glory. Now. It says here that God opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And now, yes, there were difficulties. Yes, Paul was physically beaten, stoned to the point of death. Yes, there were horrific things that happened to them. But in the midst of all of that, they say here that God opened a door to the Gentiles. They speak about their struggles. Certainly they do. When we speak about our struggles, it puts our weakness and God's power on display. When we try to hide the struggles, it's a human effort to try to somehow uh, uh, put the gospel forth in a light that we think is more acceptable. And we're setting ourselves up to diminish the power of God and salvation. We don't want to do that. That the gospel be and report it all. And then here's the glory. In the midst of all that, God has opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they gave glory here. <clears throat> now, it happened through their ministry of the word. God had called the Gentiles to saving faith. This is God's work. And they gave God glory. 
They gave him glory for providing the opportunity to preach the gospel. So now when they come back and they give report, you know, say, you think they got there and they said, well, you know, funny thing. We just looked up upon this one spot there, in, you know, in, in, in Presidian Antioch. And we had a chance to share the gospel. It was amazing. You know, it's just, it's just everywhere along the way, we just have to see, we just have to be in the right place at the right time. You know, uh, it was just funny. It was uncanny how we'd work that out, kind of how we'd planned, uh, um, strategically planned our efforts there in that particular area. It's not what they said. They said God opened the door. In other words, God provided an opportunity for us to preach the gospel every step of the way. Wherever we did preach the gospel, we did so because God provided an opportunity. That's how they reported back. Not that, now, should they be strategic? Of course. Should they plan? Of course. But ultimately, they understand that all their strategy, all their plans are meaningless unless God opens the door. So they give glory here. God opened the door. It's not mere luck. It's the sovereignty of God. Their opportunity to preach was granted by God. First Corinthians 16, uh, verse 9. For a wide door for effective service had been opened to me. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthians there. <clears throat> and there are many adversaries. There are many adversaries, but there's a wide door that's been opened for me to preach Colossians 4, 2. Again, here Paul. Uh, Praying at the same time for us, he asking for them, he asking for prayers. They as a minister, he says, pray for the same time for us as well that God will open a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have been imprisoned. So there's the language, there's the theology. God must do this. God must open the door. And here on this first missionary journey, God did just that. And they were able to come back and communicate that. And report that back to the church. God did this. God opened a door for us. God opened a door for us to declare the gospel to these Gentiles. And in a language here, it's not, it's nothing less than that reality that God opened the door for them to proclaim the gospel. But understand here, the language is such that it's saying to us, God opened the door of faith for the Gentiles. Not only did he open the door of the means, that being Paul and Barnabas to preach the gospel, what he's communicating here is that God opened the door of their heart, of the hearts of these Gentiles and granted them saving faith. Both happened. Do you see that? That's what's being communicated here in this text. He opened the door of faith to these Gentiles. That means he provided the means for the, for his missionaries, uh, commissioned by, uh, by, by their home church to the grace of God, and then God, by his grace, takes them and everywhere along the way opens a door for them to preach the gospel. And in them preaching the gospel, he opens the door of the Gentiles' hearts and grants them saving faith. That's exactly what's transpired here. And so they're glorifying God for his great grace and salvation. So God is the only one who can open the door. And when he opens, no one can close, right? That's what they're reporting back. Now, that's pretty good. So you feel like you don't have an open door to preach the gospel? You feel like it's just going that secular around here? You have family members? You have friends? 
the door of their heart is just closed to the gospel. You feel like there's just no opportunity for you in your workplace or in your neighborhood or in your the local setting wherever you may travel throughout the week. There's no place for you. There's no open door for you. You feel like that? I fear that this is something we just do not do enough. I don't believe we can do this enough. I fear we don't even make, we're not even in the ballpark of really together, corporately, praying, personally but corporately, praying for God to open the door of saving faith, for God to open the door for us to communicate the gospel. Pray. You feel like you don't have an open door? Pray. Pray for open doors. God is the only one who can open the door. God's the only one who can create an open door. He can create an open door where there's just a wall of unbelief. Pray for this. Again, he didn't just give the opportunity. He granted saving faith. That's exactly what's happening here. God brought faith to these Gentiles. He opened the door of their hearts. And this is a picture of sovereign grace and salvation. Paul and Barnabas faithfully reported back that they had success. And they had success because God effectually called these Gentiles to saving faith. God can make men willing to open the door of their heart. And they respond in faith. Yes, they did. And here God opened the door of their heart. He made them willing, if you will, to open the door of their heart. We have a picture of that just a couple chapters away. Acts 16, 14. Lydia, remember Lydia? Verse 14 says, a woman named Lydia found in the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God. She knew of the true God, but she didn't know her Savior. She was listening to Paul preach about Christ. And it says the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things that Paul spoke. Right there it is. And the same thing is true today. And the same thing is true for you in your life. God is the one that can open the door to give you an opportunity to preach. And when you preach the gospel, God has capacity to cause that person to open the door of their heart and respond in faith. So pray. Pray for such encounters. So God is free with his grace and lavishes his grace upon sinners. Know and trust the promises of God. God gives the gift of faith. Praise him for his grace and cry out to him to grant you these opportunities, to grant you open doors. If we have those among us who are lost, if we have extended family and friends who are lost, let me say cry out. If you're here and outside of saving relationship with Jesus Christ, cry out. Cry out to your creator, God, in the name of Christ, that he will grant you capacity to open the door of your heart to the gospel and be saved, to repent and believe on Christ. And finally, I want you to see a biblical sending church, a real picture of a biblical sending church here. In verse 28, they spent a long time with the disciples. Now, So they've come back off the field, they've come off the field, they've given report, and then here 
Luke takes the time to tell us that they spent a long time with the disciples. So time spent together nurtures love, commitment, and encouragement. Again, not only these things, but nothing less than these things. So they settled down with the church, if you will. They settled down the church for, for a prolonged visit. They spent a long time. Not a little time. Literally, the text tells us a long time, not a little time. There's an emphasis here. So they didn't make a dazzling report and sweep on out. Back off the mission field. After all, that's more important, right? No. They stayed with them. They stayed with the church and they loved the church. And spending time with the church here shows love and commitment for that church. There's a relationship here. The report was formal. It was a duty they had, but it's not merely a duty. They were returning home. And they returned home and they nurtured the relationship there. There was thankfulness for the church. There was thankfulness for the relationships. They renewed the friendships. They renewed ministry relationships. It's a picture of a real sending church. And we're to pray and strive to be like this. Strive for missionaries to, for God raised missionaries out of our church family and for the relationship to be like this. For them to come home and not just to rush back out to the field, but to come home and nurture relationships here and build them up. Now, <clears throat> they're not spending their entire time here. Also, I want you to notice chasing down missionary help from other churches. When missionaries come back off the field, what do you see them do? You know, they've come back. They come off the field. You see them. And they whisk through. Now, they may not be from uh, this particular church, but they may be from another church. But they come here and what they did? They come in and they. Yeah. They give a nice presentation, a meaningful presentation. They're sincere. It's good. It's, it, it's, it's, uh, um, uh, it's, not, it's not wrong. It's not wrong to, to support other missionaries from other churches or from uh, missionary organizations you might not be directly identified with. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying they come home and what do they do? They just go to work. Because they got to chase down funding from uh, umpteen other churches all over the place. They're just wandering around from church to church, working, uh, trying to raise money. It's not the way we want to do it. And it's okay to have to have funding from other churches. I'm not saying it. But we don't want to have missionaries in this situation that seems to be all, in my mind, all too common. When we see them back home. They're not good in relationship with their local church. They're not spending time with the local church. They're not engaging in that fellowship again. They're not being loved on. I can't, you know, I'm not saying that that's not true, but not to the fullest degree because they're on the road. They're on the road. They're not having their lives poured into. They're not sitting and bonding with these with these folks, reporting back to them, being built up in the faith uh, for extended periods of time, living with them, ministering with them right together in that, in that common context. They're not because we're on the road a lot. And they're doing little presentations for loneliness. And it's not a healthy picture. And it's certainly not a biblical model. Here, they are spending a long, protracted time with their home church. They are with them and they are building relationships with them. They are ministering with them. They're renewing their relationships. 
And this is the visible plan. This is the plan of the church. So spending time resting with their sending church. They're being reinvigorated. They're being, the relationships are being renewed. The sending church is being invigorated for the mission itself. And support should be structured where the missionaries can rest and renew fellowship with that sending church. Now, how does that look? Every time I don't know. But that should be the end game. The support should be such that they can come home and renew. There's a structure where they can renew their relationships, where they can rest, where they can spend time with the sending church and know that Christ is at the center of this union. There's a union between the missionaries and the sending church, and that's Christ. Why? What's the reunion here with us? It's Christ. Christ is how we're unified. Christ is how the missionaries and the sending church are unified. Christ is at the center. When we're unified with Christ through his atoning blood shed on our behalf, where we're made righteous, or excuse me, declared righteous before a, before a holy God by the atoning work of Christ, when that union with Christ is made real and permanent in our lives, then we are unified with his body. To be unified with Christ is to be unified with his body. So Christ is at the center of this. Union with Christ is union with his people. Salvation is not private. It's very personal. It is not private. And here, there's relationships need to be nurtured. When the mission is come home, they need to be nurtured. There's a unity here. And we need to carve out, much like the church in did, time and space for that. There needs to be fellowship. And so that needs to be true of all of us. With our missionaries and with one another. Day to day. That's who we are. So it's the fellowship that's cultivated here because fellowship is needed. As we think about that just for us in terms of application, how we think about going forward together, fellowship is needed. You say, well, I'm a loner or I've been burned, right? Other churches, you know, I tried to open up a little bit, brother, and, you know, I just got burned. So that's the way it is. Sorry, but can't, can't do it. I mean, just say, you are the one who needs fellowship the most. That's you. If you're just that lone or if you've been burned, it's just got you to the point where like, nope, you're the one that needs it the most. We need fellowship. To be united with Christ, to be united with the people. So be open. Be open, cultivate it. The more we cultivate the fellowship here, the better we'll cultivate the ministry of missionaries that God, we're praying God will raise up in this church in the future. This must be part of our DNA. And we see it right here in the big picture of sending folks out, having them return. To be loved on, to be nurtured, and to develop a fellowship. To prepare for the work of ministry that belongs to all of us. For the glory of God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your mercy, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for this text and ask that you would take these truths and that you would, uh, in all their simplicity and all their practicality, that you would nurture the theology into our hearts, that we would pray this way, that we would think this way, that we would strive to live this way uh, for your glory. And that you would take us and that you would use us in a way that brings glory to your name. That you would use us in a way that is uh, that models 
a, a biblical church. Help us to um, prioritize around the authority of your word and to strive for the kind of fellowship and the kind of unity that produces fruit, fruit that remains. Um, and take your word and, and knit it deep into our hearts that we might uh, be changed, that we might be um, equipped more fully to go forth and um, walk righteously and be a light, a corporate light into this world. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.